Welcome to The Strategist, episode 1084. I'm your host, Annalise Klingbeil. With you, as always, Stephen Carter and Corey Hogan. I got a lot of notes about last episode. Now, yeah. I only listened first to the first 20 minutes. Corey Hogan free episode. That's true. What are your notes? You th- how, how did it feel to not be there, Corey? Uh, really good. Really good. In, instead of being one of the three idiots talking nonsense, I was just listening to three idiots talk nonsense. That was, <laughs> that was really a upsetting that you talked to Annalise like that. <laughs> uh, I, Zane surprised me. I thought Zane was really Zane good. Zane was with his really good. Hat on. Zane was really good. He I was mean, better than I was expecting. That would surprise me too if I had thought he was good. Yeah. <laughs> Hang on a second here. Uh, why did he surprise you? I expected great things from Zane. Zane's a great host, but I didn't know how he'd do with opinions, oh, oh, like oh. in that in that direct, not guised, like a disguised as questions. And uh, he did good. Corey, did <laughs> did did the um did the episode get posted without help from you? That's no. what I was well, mainly. No, so the next kinda, day, it kind of no. did. It was out. <laughs> it was available. It was it not was available. available. I mean, people could get it if they would look at the right spots. I mean, if they. I if mean, they were committed listeners, if they if they looked at like you, yeah. who doesn't normally post the episodes, posting a link to an MP3 <laughs> rather than say posting it to I think the question was Spotify was and Apple and yeah. all of those. Yeah, so uh, swing and a miss, swing and a miss. Yeah, it didn't kind okay. of go our way. It's okay. We'll go our way. We all learn. We When's all. What's our next one where we, we learn, don't we have you? Just out of curiosity. Hang on, let me just check here. <laughs> <laughs> August third. It'll be a while. August third. I. It the will fact be a while, that it happened, sure. Corey, was was impressive. Like no one backed out. I mean, but we it didn't actually happen. happen. It did. We tried it did to, to post it. There was people. Yeah. Real artist ship. There was people who who Steve Jobs listened to the podcast, so. We got downloads. Okay. What, well, why did you only make back. it 20 minutes? Why didn't you listen to the whole thing? I mean, you know, life goes on. <laughs> and uh, sometimes you just, you, you realize there's a new episode of the rewatchables that you'd rather listen to. They're doing courtroom month. Stop listening to this right now hey, and go no, listen to the rewatchables. Not, no, courtroom no, month. hang on. This is <laughs> perfect. Oh, Great. We went through this last time because we have a promo, right? Every once in a while we have to promo ourselves. And, uh, Oh, yeah, we do. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. So we're promoting ourselves. We're not asking them to go to other people's podcasts right now. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All We've right. We've got partners now that rely on us for their revenues, which is ridiculous. Carter for why they should keep listening. Yeah. I actually don't know why they would keep listening. It's the middle of summer. I can't imagine I mean, you've got topics. As soon as that download is counted, yeah. I got to tell you, from the moment like you've heard this, as far as the advertiser is concerned, you've listened We're to done. the episode. Thank so, you. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> why are we still here? Why are they still uh, okay, here? We're, we we're still here because we have Let's to. talk about outside before we oh, talk God. about our first segment. Carter, you had an adventurous weekend outside. Yeah. You remember I crashed last week on my mountain bike? I crashed two more times yesterday. Do you remember that? And then Heather, Heather took a header. Like Heather dove into a creek. Her, I saw her back tire go up in the air like six feet, and then she dove into a creek. And now she's all black and blue. It's not good. It's not good. It's, there's no funny punchline to the, to the story. She's, she's like covered in bruises because she bruises like a ripe peach. Heather does. It's not good. So anyway, okay. that's happened. So we may not be mountain biking for a while. So this is like your second chance to turn off the episode and go listen to Rewatchables, I think. <laughs> Let's move yeah. into our first segment. I th- or did I thought you go outside? Talk about your Carter. toddler that won't sleep in a tent. Not a, uh, not, not a, it, it was good. We were backpacking for a couple days out of cell service. It was, uh, it was wonderful, except for the sleeping parts, but the rest of it, lovely. Except for the sleeping parts. I remember the sleeping parts being the best part about having a toddler. Corey, was I wrong there or is yeah. that right? Uh, I mean, it's the light. Yeah, I don't. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Hey, speaking of not knowing what you're talking about, do you really think, given the Hockey Canada scandal <laughs> and its actual content, saying they need to protect the athletes was the line you wanted to go with there? I wasn't talking was that about really the, athlete. the phrase that you thought. There's a much, much larger group of athletes than the people who are assholes. The the athletes that come next, the athletes that came before, the athletes that weren't involved in the scandal. The point of the whole organization is for the athletes. It's not just there to 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 talk about sports. I mean, 
the athletes that did stupid ass shit that uh, the, the athletes that did stupid ass shit should be tossed out but that's different than their primary objective which is taking care of athletes yeah yeah so agree with all of that i think uh the soundbite that you have provided to uh all of your haters is uh is pretty solid though oh no yeah. i i don't have any haters yeah. people just adore me third exit chance people adore <laughs> me the verdict they did Okay. Okay, what are we doing now? Okay, guys, let's move on. Do we have any uh, topics? Our first segment is called X. Oh, uh, seriously? We can keep this short and sweet. Yeah, we're doing it. Because I leave cell service for a couple of days. I come back to news that Twitter has a new name. It's been rebranded as X. Is this is this for real? I mean, sort of. Elon Musk has wanted to create X.com since his PayPal days. and In fact, it's part of why he was ousted from PayPal. And uh, he actually created, or he sold, or I don't know, like it was restructured in a way that X has owned Twitter since the spring. This is not actually new at this point. But the idea is Elon wants to turn Twitter into the everything app, what essentially is WeChat for Chinese-speaking populations, where you can send money, you can buy things, you can talk to people, you engage with the world, you can subscribe. Uh, it's this everything app that he's talked about for decades at this point. Um, he would like to create it. Unfortunately, he can't even maintain the app that he has right now that does like one of those 12 things. So is this for real is an interesting question when you look at it through that. Is the concept for real? Yeah. Will the execution match his aspirations? Uh, 100% no. Carter, what's your take? Like we keep we every I would say like three or four episodes. There's like a new Twitter thing, but people are still on Twitter. There's there still hasn't been this like mass exodus. Like why are we still talking about Elon and Twitter? It's real. I think I said this before. It's super hard to give up a community that you've created and the communities that we've created on Twitter. I have, you know, lots of followers on Twitter. You know how many followers I have on uh, on on um, what's the new one? Zuckerberg threads. 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 Yeah. You know how many followers I have on that? No, seriously. Tell me. I have no idea how to tell. I don't know how many followers I have. It keeps going up, but I don't, like, it's not 15,000 followers. It's not like the community that was kind of created and curated that we put together over a course of, I don't know how many years we've been on uh, Twitter, Corey. It's been a long time because you and I are old. Since 08 for me, yeah. I think. So, you know, Twitter has gone through many iterations. I mean, used to be you could buy fake followers for your good friends um, at work. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have then to you buy have them to buy apology them kits. Apology you, yeah. um, you know, those things happened and Twitter was great for that kind of stuff. But And then Twitter became about seeing information in, in real time and, and uh, you know, keeping abreast of, of information as it happened. Uh, and now Twitter... You know, Twitter is a raging cesspool. Most of the tweets that I am tweeted at now, I, I I don't even read because they're from people I don't know. They're they're like I'm just getting shit on. I don't understand what the value of the of the enterprise is anymore. And uh, so my la my latest tweet is uh, I'm out for a bit. I'm gonna I'm leaving it behind. I. I find our Discord. So you, I, I was gonna. Oh. Let's stop there because as as He's you were complaining his about to it, South Beach. Yeah, as this you were complaining, right I was now, gonna say, live. when are you leaving? I, so you are leaving. I didn't. I didn't cancel the account. I didn't. Uh, I haven't taken so anything. Isn't a yes rash. or like yes or no? Are you leaving? Leaving's an interesting word. I don't know the answer to leaving. I'm not leaving. I'm not there though. So. I'm not going to be posting information there as much. I, I don't think I'll be posting there really at all. Um, I'm just not that interested in in the interactions, and I'm not that interested in the uh, in the community any longer. Well, this is an interesting thing. Like, I I think it's it's not a binary. I still have a Facebook account. Yeah. I haven't posted on Facebook. I think in years. So what? Right? Like, Every I deleted my Facebook account. Why don't you just delete it? Can't delete it. Well, why did you? I guess it would yeah. be my counterpoint. Like, it, it's a free app. It's a free service. I might want to dip my toe into it. There's some stuff on there that I don't mind having access to, old photos and, and whatnot. Th these things do not require big, dramatic, I'm never drinking again moments. We just use them less, you know? I, you know, actually, it's a perfect metaphor. In my 20s, I drank a lot. I never quit well, drinking, but I have like five drinks a year at this point. And your 30s. Your well, 30s yeah, are a pretty 30s, monumental yeah. decade as well, as I recall. Yeah. 
But, but but you don't need these big, dramatic, binary life decisions with social media accounts or anything else. You can just gradually change your habits. And I think what Twitter is going to face is not a moment where we all decide en masse, it's all threads and we're never going to use anything else. I think it's going to be the slow loss of our interest. We're just going to slip away from Twitter. Uh, and it's funny because I'm... I'm not even doing what Steven's doing. I'm not taking like some time away. I'm not I'm not stepping off to another primary platform or anything like that. But I was talking to my wife today and she asked me something about some of thing and I said, "Oh, I don't know. I haven't really been on Twitter for the past few days." And it's been a long time since I've been able to say, "I don't know. I haven't been on Twitter huh. for a few days." And that's just the reality that Twitter is going to have to contend with. So do you think as more people take that stance, Corey, like you're saying, it doesn't have to be black and white, just as they're on it less. Yeah. Th- th- then, then what? like, when, when does Twitter just like fail? If it keeps like we, it feels like we keep talking about it and, and Elon keeps trying these new things, but people are still there and they're going on to see what the new thing is. Well, he's the world's richest man. I think he's worth $150 billion or something with current Tesla market prices. I'm just, I don't know if that's 100% accurate. But the um, the thing is, he can, it will live as long as he wants it to live. But it doesn't make money right now. It didn't make money when he bought it. And now it has debt financing and its advertising revenue by all accounts has gone down. And Twitter Blue, his subscription service has not really worked. But when you're the world's richest man, you can you can keep digging that hole as long as you want to. You can create X, You just to bring it back to your original question. You can try to create the app of everything. And you can do that, you know, as a fantasy where you're not really taking any serious steps towards it. Or he could drop another $10 billion into this bloody app if he wants to. It's all available to him with that kind of money. So when does Twitter go down? Twitter goes down when he he loses interest or he just can't take another body blow on this particular one. Could be economic, could be emotional, the way that he keeps getting his ass kicked in the court of public opinion. But you know, Twitter will live or die based on Elon Musk's whims. Um, it And it, it will gradually be less relevant for the rest of us as, uh, you know, will those two lines cross? Who knows? Carter, two quick questions. What what was the final straw? Like, what made you decide to send that tweet that I have not seen where you said, hey, I'm stepping away? And also, you were going to plug the Discord. You can you can continue down yeah, that. Yeah, the Discord's uh, been really... That train of thought. The Discord's really interesting. It's 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 our Patreon-only uh, app that people can go to. I can't help but notice that on, you know, uh, Pod Save America, the knockoff of the strategists, has also set up their own little Discord channel uh, subsequent to us doing it. You know, they copied the whole fucking format, and uh, then they copy uh, the Discord. I mean, Corey, I, I don't even know what to do about it. I don't even know what to do about it. You know, I, it's it's what, David what versus Goliath. They are literally called crooked media. Steven. Oh, this is how they roll. You know what you nailed it. Um, I can't remember the question. What the question was? What was the final straw? Why did you tweet that you're, I think, you're staying away from Twitter? Like, was it was it one thing? Was it one mean troll? Was it this X thing? What was you it? You know, it wasn't the X thing. It was the CEO of Twitter uh, putting up her uh, Twitter defense, her 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 linked tweets of the uh, uh, of why they decided to go to uh, to X and what X was going to be. And I just thought. That's interesting. That's an interesting idea. But, you know, a place governed by AI that's, you know, all these things to everybody. That's not what I signed up for. I signed up to get really interesting information when I needed it. Uh, I signed up to be a part of a community. I signed up to, you know, know things and and learn things that were posted by my friends and by my community uh, without me necessarily needing to know them. I mean, I think that that was the foundational difference between Twitter and Facebook. In Facebook, you you kind of needed to be connected to the person. You were only seeing what your friends were posting. Um, back, you know, that's this is all back in the day, of course. But in in Twitter, you you could see anybody, and all of a sudden, you could develop these really interesting relationships with people that you didn't know in real life, and that became part of the the lexicon of of Twitter, right? You met them IRL, right? In real life. And suddenly this online world um, developed new, new meaning. Uh, and that, that was something different than Facebook where, you know, I already knew my aunt. I didn't need to, you know, be reintroduced to her. Um, so this is, it was a different platform and now it's kind of gone. 
Thanks for telling us what IRL means. So just to, just to loop <laughs> it was circle for circle with all of that. It was for Corey. I, I quite enjoyed that. But you're saying you're not getting any of that from Twitter anymore, but you are getting that from the community that you found well, in the Strategist Discord. I think it's going to be shocking to find out that we don't actually know each one of our listeners. I mean, Corey and I started off thinking that that would be the case. Um you know, we figured that that's why we brought Zane in. Actually, we thought he'd bring in a whole different group of friends. We figured it'd be nice to not know one of yeah, the posts too. So yeah. we brought him in to try and handle that. And um, you know, I mean, it, it wound up to be it, it is a much larger thing than we thought it was going to be. And getting to see these people post it, their information, their comments, their thoughts, um, it's been way more entertaining than I ever thought. I mean, I I'll be honest with you, I didn't think much of our audience. Uh, for the first <laughs> seven, seven years. Many years. Oh, yeah. yeah. But uh, now, and all of a sudden. Now we've got a discord. And I got to tell you, dismissing them out of hand has become more challenging. Uh, much more challenging. <laughs> okay. We're going to leave that segment there and move on to our next segment. Our next segment is called A Tiny Little Shack. Um, so I don't know if you guys saw this. At a recent press conference about housing costs, uh, Pierre Polyev illustrated an argument about Canada's high housing market. He did this by giving out a physical address for a home on the Canadian side of Niagara Falls. He said, you know, the house is a $550,000 house and it's a tiny little shack. And he invited reporters to check it out. So they did. Reporters went to this house, a three-bedroom, two-bathroom, 1.5-story home. And the renter living there, um, she was not, like, super happy. She said it was pretty embarrassing that the leader called her home a shack. It was her house. She liked it. She said it's not the greatest house on the street. It's definitely not a shack. And I think kind of in the circles I saw and where this came up is others who live in singular, similar homes um, like hers were also pretty offended. So soon, Polyev was apologizing to the renter. I want to bring you guys in because there's a few things to pick apart here. I want to talk about this, like the housing, and we've talked about that before, but the housing um, strategy, kind of the idea of comparing the Canadian side to the American side, and then also the strategy of like giving out an address and saying, go check it out, and then reporters do that. So why don't we, uh, we'll jump in, Carter, what are, what are just kind of your, your initial take on the situation before we really dive in? Well, I think that it's really bad political instincts. I'm sure that the owner of the house gave them permission to do what they did, but I'm sure the thought never crossed their mind that there would be uh, an occupant. Uh, I'm not even sure I like the word renter in this situation. I mean, um, houses aren't just occupied by people who own. Um, and the only people who, you know, the, the people who matter in these equations aren't just the owners. Uh, the market is also... Um, the, 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 the way the conservatives have taken this thing on just confuses me altogether. I think this is a really important issue. And instead of trying to point out what the solutions are or uh, what they would do, they just continually point out the problems. And uh, I really struggle with that type of political instinct that says, look how bad this thing is. And there's no solution presented. And then, you know, the political instinct of, calling something a shack where, frankly, a lot of Canadians live in, in a, you know, Corey and I live in the inner city. You live in the relative inner city. Um, there'd be lots of people who I think would point at our living situations, not Corey's because his uh, mansion, you know, from the, <laughs> you know, I mean. Old timey mansion. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. In Che. It's got, yeah. In Che. I mean, anybody who lives in Che. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. You know, but it's a... <sighs> Not everybody needs to live in the same situation. I don't understand people who need 2,500 square feet and a double garage that enters up, opens up onto their street. I don't understand that. I don't need that for my lifestyle to be full. I'd rather go out, be outside all the time. I don't want to take care of my lawn, right? Like there's, there's different priorities that different people bring. And I just think that Pierre doesn't understand anything but his own point of view. And that shows that he's got really bad political instincts in my mind. Corey, jump in. What's your kind of initial take on the overall situation? Yeah, um, I don't feel the same way, Stephen. I do think Pierre Polyev has 
explained what he thinks the solutions to this particular challenge are. I also believe this is a challenge and it is a existential one for an entire generation of Canadians who are entirely priced out of home ownership unless they happen to have really good lines of credit with the bank of mom and dad, right? And that's really troubling for me because that's how wealth becomes entrenched in just a few people's hands and not a lot of people's hands. And that, you know, that's something that politicians need to wrestle with because, uh, removing the dream of home ownership from a generation is is not a good idea. And and by the way, I, I know people can say, yes, well, renting's an option. Yes, of course, renting's an option. Um, but renting is also becoming increasingly unattainable uh, just because these things do tend to trickle down. And ultimately, it becomes about the cost of literally living, like where you're going to live and, and how challenging this is. So... Um, you know, he, he did what politicians do. He tried to make a point. He tried to illustrate a point by using an example. And it was it was pretty callous because, of course, there was a occupant there. I think in general, when you're casting dispersions on a house that somebody has lived in, does live in, could live in a house like it, you're, you're probably on some pretty shaky ground if you happen to be a politician. Because I'm sure there were a lot of people who said, you know, fuck you, right? Like, I'm I'm sorry I don't live in the McMansion you think I want to. And it reinforces some of the challenges people have with Pierre Polyev. But I think, you know, this is something that politicians struggle to do, to maintain relevance for a particular issue. They try to create hooks, and they try to do that with stories. And I'm I'm sure this was just like on a list of summer things to do. Let's find an example of a house in Canada that seems overpriced in a competitive environment where we want to be politically relevant. And let's make the point. And southwestern Ontario seems like a pretty good one because right across the border, very close, you do have much more affordable housing. All of that said, I do want to point out something obvious here which is there is another way to read the fact that a house in Canada is worth an awful lot yeah. more than a house in the United States. And that's that it's a lot more desirable to live in these <laughs> environments than it is to live in the United States. Yeah, I mean, aren't we talking about uh, in around Detroit, Michigan or something like that? Isn't that where a Buffalo? Buff- I mean, Buffalo. Ma- massive industries that have, have been uh, driven away from these areas. Uh, you know, Canada has been able to survive. We've got, um, you know, a totally different uh, downtown situations. I mean, it's, it's apples to oranges, but he, he tries to simplify everything into eensy weensy, tiny little sound bites that his, uh, that his electorate can understand. And, uh, I mean, and work, I guess it works with our audience, but does it work with anything else? That's politics, though. Like, I, I think that you just, your dislike of the guy, your evident dislike of the guy is clouding it. Because, like, the idea that you would simplify an issue and illustrate it with an example is not... I mean, that's, no, but I that's do what it. you do for a living. I do it well, right? Like the difference <laughs> so, there so Carter, is what, what was the right well. way? What was the right way to do it in this case? If if you want to illustrate how expensive getting into the housing market is in Canada and you want to use the states as a comparison, walk us through how you would have done it, both of you. Well, why am I accepting that premise? Why am I comparing our expensive housing to the United States expensive housing? The United States, you know, they have certain areas of cheap housing, to be sure. But the United States isn't immune from the from the housing uh, bubbles. There's there's all kinds of places. Let's go. Let's let's compare uh, Vancouver and the and the Lower Mainland to uh, to San Francisco. Um, there's all kinds of places in the United States that have unbelievable housing markets that are pricing out its residents. Um, the fact that you can find a lower, I mean, we can compare Nova Scotia to New York City if you want. Let's go for it. New Brunswick. So you, like you're it's saying just, you just wouldn't have touched it. Like you, this is not something you would have touched. I would have way. just said, well, I don't understand what you're doing. Like we're going to pick one market that, that is super high and one market that's super low. I mean, they happen to be relatively close to one another. But outside of that, they share no common, like, it's not like the people in, in, in that area are going to be like, oh, yeah, maybe we should just move across the border and, and buy a house. Like, it's just, this is, this was a part of the calculation is that it was a manufactured comparison. It's a manuf, it's not real. Um, I mean, we can compare, you know, all kinds of different variables for housing. Housing is, 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 you know, what is it they say in real estate? Location, location, location. I mean, you're comparing apples to oranges here. And, and the media should have picked up on that as well. I mean, I just think the guy's really fucking horrible. So what do you want me to do here? Corey, is, 
Is there a right way that you would have done it? Yeah, well, first of all, a couple of fact checks here. The cost of housing has gone up way, way faster in Canada than the United States. So, yes, there are problems with this affordability. Time. This time, look for the past like 30 years. Look for the last 40 years. It's out of control in this country. This is a real fucking problem. I'm not denying that it's a right? real fucking Let's problem. I'm denying that the way that he made the comparison was really bad. The comparison's not real, Corey. If you want to take a median house and a median Comparisons. house, then we can talk about it. But when we talk about choosing different locations based on what we can get the best comparator of, that's not real. It's not an insane comparison to say this country that is very like us in the same geography has much more affordable housing. That said, I think that the way the point actually gets made is by talking about things that actually lead to your policy solutions, right? And the thing is, I don't know a thing about the housing market in upstate New York. But I am guessing, because it's in New York, that it's not an incredibly affordable place on account of uh, an incredible lack of red tape and, uh, you know, just this ability to build without any consideration of regulations or, or you know, any zoning or, or any controls like that. So I don't think it actually lends itself to his policy solutions. And, and the comparisons, I think, were probably more readily available with, you know, frankly, markets in Texas, uh, markets in Canada like Calgary, where it is easier to get things built or has been historically. Uh, that seems to be something that we are struggling with more recently here. But he has a suite of solutions. Those solutions include, uh, you know, red tape reductions, making it easier to uh, to build, so fewer zoning restrictions, and then ultimately um, reducing taxes and business costs on people who want to build as well. And if he could have pointed to a jurisdiction that did those things and managed to make housing affordable, that would have been much more meaningful to me. Uh, and it wouldn't have had this mean-spiritedness of picking on a, a quote-unquote shack, too. I, I think that there were ways that you could have gotten there. But again, I like... I'm answering the question mostly because it was posed. I I think it was a gaffe. I think it was not very considerate. I'm I'm not as grossly offended, and I'm not as shocked by by the composition. I think as Stephen seems to be. Okay, the personal nature question, of it. Corey. Sorry, can I it. can I jump in, Annalise? Can I? May I? May I? I'm going to let you jump in, Carter. It's the personal so nature of it that particularly offends me. When we're talking medians, when we're talking, you know, numbers, when we're talking about generalities, that makes sense. And to tell you something, if that owner had lived in that house, I probably would have said, you know what, that's fine. But when you start picking on someone individually, when you start picking on a person as an individual, that goes beyond the pale in politics. In politics, we are not supposed to be taking our weight and putting it onto someone else's shoulders. That's not maybe someone else in the game. Maybe that's how we play. But that's it. You don't put your, your weight of the political party of your of your political speech and you do not bring the media down on a poor renter who just happens to occupy the space that you think is a fucking shack. That's where I go over. That's where the line was crossed and all the other stuff, semantics. We could have had a wonderful semantics conversation, but Pierre Polyev chose to hurt someone and not, not someone in the game, not someone who's playing the game. He chose to hurt a right and a normie. And we don't hurt the fucking normies unless they're our audience. And then we pick on the audience. Yeah, but you're, you're kind of attributing an intent that I don't even believe you believe he did. It doesn't there. matter I don't, if you got the it, intent. Like, it, it, was, it doesn't matter. It was thoughtless. You got to think it through. It was not intent. You got to think it through. Yeah, but Carter, on, on that note, you're saying if the, if the owner, then it would have been fine. Wouldn't you still, if he had called the same house a shack without having a renter live in it, other people, including journalists, whose houses look like this house still would have been outraged, would they not? Sure, like, they, why does it make a difference? They could have been outraged. If the owner was they there. Might, but the owner at least would have been calling down the hell, you know, the, the storm upon themselves. You know, the, the, the owner would have been calling down the criticism and the critique on, the, on their own head. This was something that was brought down on their head by, you know, on someone else's head who likes living there and is happy to have a place that they can actually live and is probably worried sick that the fucking property's up for sale. Right. Like there, there were so many things in this that, that any practitioner who was actually doing politics properly should have said, you know what, this doesn't feel right. We're not going to do this because we don't bring we don't bring down this type of heat on someone who's a normie. 
Okay, so Carter, if ignore the America Canada example because you don't like that. Let's say you were tasked with doing a summer press conference middle of July on how insane house prices are in Canada. What's your strategy? What do you do? I really liked. I mean, I, I what I would probably do is I would go and I would I would find properties that were affordable eighteen months ago, and aren't affordable today, and I would say. This is what's happening. This is, you know, and there's there's lots of them. Corey's already mentioned a number of markets in which you can find this information or find this. Calgary. Calgary's a great market. Lower, you know, lower mainland of British Columbia, where he was. There's lots of properties where the values have escalated beyond people's ability to pay for them. There, There is no shortage of of discussion points or places that you can point to that, that make your point. But you don't have to come down on someone like... Um, you don't need to compare to the United States, first of all. Do a comparison within market, right? Do a comparison of where they were before and where they are now. Um, that's a far more interesting. That's a far more interesting job, I think, than going across. You know, you know, going across the border and saying, "Look, they're doing a great job." Corey made a good point, which again pains me. Pains me. But Corey, if if he had found a place that is building housing faster because of the lack of regulations, then he could have pointed to that and said, "That's a, that's a part of our solution." If he can't find that place, then he can still make the case. Or, you know, like talk about jurisdictions where they are allowing that. I don't know that there are a lot of jurisdictions because NIMBY is pretty engrossed or pretty um, steadfast everywhere. But, you know, this is he just didn't need to do this the way he did it. And there were many, many, many different options. Corey, jump in. Did you want to say something? Yeah, well, look, he is going to use a country-to-country comparison because he's trying to lead a country and he's trying to say this country could be doing things differently. So I don't think it's insane that he did that again. Uh, you know, it's, he's not running to be premier of somewhere, so he's not going to compare to another province. It it makes sense that you would take a reference for another country that Canadians will understand and they're going to understand upstate New York. That, none of that is problematic in my point of view. And actually, it, it's some pretty good questions to ask, right? Like, what is so fundamentally different here? And why did things get so out of control here versus there? Is Buffalo the same? No, of course not, right? But, uh, you know, you have some opportunities to, uh, to at least tell a bit of a story about national policy, which is what national leaders try to do nationwide. So, like, not a big problem with, with that. I agree that uh, it was a bit of a thoughtless, careless hit, and he should have considered how people might feel about a house like that being called a shack. And it is, like, an interesting tension in communications that I think is worth calling out. We always want to be specific. We always want to tell these stories. And the minute we're specific, these kinds of things can happen. Right, which is part of the reason that pushes us to thirty thousand feet for a lot of these things to talk about things in terms of look at this market versus that market, look at you know this uh, city versus what it cost to be in this city five years earlier. It's a real challenge for communicators because, frankly, that kind of statistics-based approach not super interesting. And if he had taken it, we you know we wouldn't be talking about it right now. Uh, one of the things that I think we also need to acknowledge is we are talking about this right now. And while there's a lot of blowback on Pierre Polyev, this feels a little bit different from probably a dozen other Pierre Polyev moments where he's been kind of shitty and we've been like, what are you doing? Uh, where I, I think you are still left with the point, right? There's been probably a lot of conversations nationwide about... Do we have a problem with gatekeepers? Do we have a problem with overregulation? Is this a solution? Because it's sure as hell a problem. And, and so I'm not even sure he came out behind when it's all said and done. Corey, you mentioned something there interesting to me with the former journalist hat on from the communications point of view of um, how much do you factor in the fact that the people like and I find this journalists are all over this housing story, like across Canada in Calgary. And a lot of them are experiencing it themselves, right? Like they move to Calgary, they're renters, they're experiencing the rental market. They need to find a new place. They live in houses that look like this, that look like a shack, quote unquote. Like as a communicator, I mean, obviously broad audience, but when it's journalists that are helping tell that story, how do you factor, um, factor those people in for a conversation like this? Well, I don't know. I mean, that's an interesting question because I'm not sure I've ever sat and developed a communication strategy that's been like, this is how I know journalists live, 
right? So I'm, I'm going to put it in this way because I, I feel like it will have more resonance with them. And maybe I should do that more because, frankly, they're people and it's an interesting filter uh, role that they they serve and, and they can't help but feel things. And you put something like that forward that's deeply relevant to them, they're going to kind of feel that deep relevance. Um, but yeah, I, I think that when you've got an issue that people are just sort of feeling it is more likely that journalists are going to leap on it and stay on it because they're more likely to be having those feelings themselves, you know, whether that be, uh, you know, concerns about the education system, if they happen to have children or, uh, you know, crime in a neighborhood, and they happen to live in that neighborhood. I, I can think of a ton of near autobiographical columns and stories where people have written about something that's of interest to them. And, uh, you know, my sense is the minute a journalist feels like that's what you're doing, like you're doomed, like it's they're, you're, they're going to run the other way out of, out of a sense of integrity, but, uh, certainly it can, uh, it can help propel the story a bit further. Carter, do you have any thoughts on that one? Well, I think that we have, I mean, this is one of the things that, that, uh, I've done in politics for a long time. I mean, I've long, like one of the str strategies around media relations for, for, uh, Nenshi's campaign was the idea that there would be this, uh, movement to fairness, right? We knew that, um, journalists weren't just going to accept that there was only two leading candidates. They were going to have to bring in an upstart, a challenger, um, in order to fulfill their own sense of fairness, right? They had to cover at least one more. And that's why we focus so much of our attention on becoming, uh, the third place candidate in, um, in that race by September the 1st. I mean, really our entire campaign was predicated on that versus trying to win uh, at some later date. So you, if you treat, if you understand that journalists are in fact real people and they do live in the same situations and they are facing the same problems. I mean, one can look at, at uh, the journalists who are covering COVID. I mean, there was a tremendous amount of, of semi-auto-auto-auto-auto-auto-auto-auto-auto-auto-auto-auto-auto-auto-auto-auto-auto-auto-auto-auto-auto-auto-auto-auto-auto-auto-auto-auto-auto-auto-auto-auto-auto-au
I don't know. It's an interesting question. I don't think it's black and white. And like, if someone was like, Hey, I've got this story for you and Che because it's a block from your house. I'd be like, okay, we're not talking. That's creepy. Why do you know where I live? <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's, it's an interesting question, but I do find in like this broader sense. And it was Carter, you might have some thoughts on this because it came up during the, um, the last provincial election, some of the affordability stuff, there was this thought from the NDP side of like, journalists are going to cover the affordability stuff because that's them. And, and we've had success in BC with this. And, and like, these are numbers for, for them because that's who, you know, look at their salaries and this and that. So I find it interesting on the housing one, um, because you do have a lot of journalists that are new to a city that are renting, that are younger, that can't enter the market, that sort of thing. Yeah. I didn't really answer your question, Corey. That's okay. We've never done an answer to a strategist yeah, class. You're doing very well then. That's that's actually how we do it. Um, <laughs> you know, I, the thing that's... Pierre Polyev has really nailed something here. And that is that there is a, there is a uh, across the board, across Canada feeling about of worry about uh, affordability. And it really doesn't matter where you are in your stage. Like most people are, are encountering... Uh, this challenge. And so packaging it up for journalists and giving it to the journalists in such a fashion that they will cover it shouldn't really be that hard. I mean, the hook doesn't need to be set that deep on this. You know, you don't necessarily need to come up with the most creative of the solutions. I mean, I think that journalists are experiencing this and therefore, you know, going as far as he did in this particular instance in order to get that coverage just feels like you swung the bat too hard. You didn't need to go there far, you know, like all you needed is a base hit, not a home run. And, um, journalists will cover things that they're interested in. And affordability is something that everybody's following. Um, and it's interesting because it's not just inflationary affordability anymore. It's this crazy home market, uh, affordability that is everybody's real life. Everybody needs a place to stay. And it manifests itself in so many different ways. So you can cover, there's like a million different stories around housing, a million different as, uh, avenues. And one of the least interesting is actually affordable housing, in my mind. I think that there's way more interesting questions about housing and what it should be looking like, especially when you're factoring in climate change. Okay, let's leave that one there because we could keep talking about this all night. Um, our last segment is called A Saucy Costume. Uh, guys, we have to talk about I'm it. I'm not sure I'm a ready for this. A costume. I saw Corey's uh, last costume at Halloween and it was saucy. It was pretty saucy. Yeah. Yeah. A, a Donaire costume up for auction on the government website made news this week. I love this story. I don't know what you guys think. It's like the perfect summertime story. Um, initially came from Alberta Today's Catherine Gregowski. Costume is wonderful. You've got the visuals. You've got like the fun. Um, it's a thing of beauty. There's a bidding war. I don't know if you guys have checked recently. The costume is $16,000 and still many days to come. Um, so Catherine had this great story just kind of about the history of it. It was purchased for a 2015 ad campaign about impaired driving um, that the PC government pitched. But then, as you remember, 2015, NDP, surprise, they won. They kiboshed the campaign. She talked to a former government staffer, the former NDP transportation minister, etc. Great story. Um, there's lots we can get into here involving like strategy of ad campaigns and mascots, if mascots should have faces. There's a new component, which is that Premier Daniel Smith was photographed by media with a costume late last week at the Taste of Edmonton Festival. And I want to talk about this. It's like, wh what do we think of the strategy of politicians getting in on the joke? When you have this thing, it's summer, it's fun, people are on vacation, people aren't paying that much attention, they like, like this costume because it's funny. Is it good? Is it bad? Does it make her more likable? That, that, let's start there. Like, should a politician get in on the joke in the way that Daniel Smith did here. Corey Hogan, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, yeah, sure, absolutely. It, it is really funny. I mean, it's one of these classic things in politics where you can intellectually unpack it and say, like, we live in hell. Like, what the fuck is this? So so just to, just to unpack that story in a different way, government was going to run an ad campaign. Government doesn't run an ad campaign. Many years later, goes out on surplus, becomes a pop culture meme 
Premier says, I need some of that Donair shine. Get that costume out, uh, which used to say never worn. I wonder if they've updated it now. Uh, you know, let's go to a street festival and hold hands with the Donair costume and just have a bunch of pictures taken. Then a bunch of meta commentary about that particular thing. Like, holy fuck. Uh, like, what? what is this? Where are we? And, and why do we live in a world where a politician can legitimately expect a popularity bounce for walking hand in hand with a don't air down the middle of a street. Like, come on, like, what are we doing here? But we do live in that world and it costs absolutely nothing. And it's what everybody's talking about and the government owns it. So why the hell not? I mean, I thought it was kind of a no brainer. It would be insane if they weren't thinking about how they got in on that particular story. And one of the things in government communications, and this this is more on the political side, I'm sure that drove this, but in government communications, one of the things you are always trying to do is have your head on a swivel and say, what are the natural media hooks that are out there? What is everybody talking about? And what's our angle into this story? And when what everybody is talking about is a piece of government property, you have an angle into the story. You always do. So to me, it was just smart, smart government communications. Uh, something was going on. You saw your way into it. And, and, and yeah, not not even that hard. So maybe smart is overly generous, but really workmanlike government communications uh, and, and a no brainer. Carter, do you agree? Was it smart? Yeah, I mean, it absolutely was smart. I mean, uh, being in on the joke is way better than just simply being the butt of the joke. Um, I think that politicians that can laugh at themselves have a, a leg up on politicians that can't. I remember, you know, the glory days of this hour has 22 minutes, you know, and, you know, Mark Delahunty going in and talking to the prime minister. And, you know, the, those those were great. doesn't matter which prime minister it is. doesn't matter who the politician is. When a person is able to sit down with the comedian and uh, be part of the bit instead of being the, the subject of the bit, you're going to be you're going to be in the bit, right? The only question is, are you going to be able to have them laughing with you or just simply laughing at you? And this is great. I, I have a bigger question, though, and, I, and my question's for Corey. Um, Corey, why on earth would you have to buy a Daenerys costume to do an advertising campaign? Like, I've done a lot of advertising. I've never bought a costume. Like, I don't think I've ever bought a costume. I've rented costumes. Um, I've never wound up with a costume in, in inventory. Well, uh, I don't actually know. I was racking my brain being like, did I know? I, I joined the government in 2016. Yeah. So that I, I was, I was wondering what your role in this is, Corey. I, he was well, in the was costume, none, but like, obviously. I, was, I mean, like, <laughs> I can tell you. He's the mascot. He's the toner. There was an ongoing thing with Alberta Transportation and ad campaigns where they would bring these totally off the wall things and someone would be like, holy, f we're not fucking doing that. And um, and sometimes they were like big and showy and sometimes they were small and and kind of only thought out from one dimension. I'm not blaming anyone. It's kind of the nature of the content. Like there was, you know, you do a campaign that's talking about there was one I recall in my time there where it was pedestrians should lock eyes with drivers as they're crossing the street to make sure the driver can see them. Actually, really solid advice. People went nuts thinking we were saying it was the pedestrian's job not to be hit by, You're victim by people blaming. in the car. Yeah, but not, not like just trying to take a practical approach of, hey, before you cross the street, make sure like it's safe. The same lessons I would give my kids, frankly. But, you know, so you'd have things like that. And then you would have like really kind of high concept ads where somebody is driving high that would show up and like weird variants and stuff that came across my desk here. So I'm not shocked that there was a kind of stoned Donaire ad out there. And I wonder if maybe I saw boards of it at some point. But to your question, Stephen, clearly this was not just an ad. It wasn't just a television ad, a YouTube ad, a billboard. There were activations. There was, you know, at events, there was going to be Alberta <laughs> Transportation's donaire going around because otherwise you wouldn't, you wouldn't buy it. The ad agency would buy it if they thought there was a need for it potentially. And it maybe it ends up, up in your inventory. inventory, but like it's in your house. Yeah. You know what I mean? I had that. That was there. I could have worn, worn that. that. You, that could have been yeah. a strategist mascot. Like if we. <laughs> well, I mean, that was, that would be misuse of government property that but well i mean yeah. we've done yeah, I see. weird shit but. before i mean we give it back <laughs> maybe but yeah no i mean like i you know clearly this was going to be a big campaign with some wraparound pieces right they didn't decide to cheap out and do a cgi donor let's put it that way 
What, Corey, what about the timing? Like, can you, can you speak to that? Just obviously you're saying you were not involved in this campaign, but the fact that it's now eight years, eight years later, is it, is it a matter of like, oh, eight years, we've still got this sitting around. It hasn't done anything. Time to put it up for auction or how does, how does that work? What are the logistics? I mean, so archiving and surplusing rules at government are, are, are are a little bit much even for me, I think, to dive into here. But (laughs) Uh, yeah, ultimately somebody decided we haven't used this for a long time and we're not going to use it, so let's sell it. And and that's how things end up on the government surplus website. And I can tell you, there were things like it's a it's a trip. No matter where you live, go to your government's yeah. government surplus website. You're going to see crazy shit. Want to buy a fire truck? There's going to be one available somewhere. Hey. How about like 5,000 brochures about herpes? Hold Maybe on a you second need those. Here. Maybe they're on the site too. We pissed away our money on a Che fucking bus bench and <laughs> yeah. we could have bought 5,000 <laughs> brochures <laughs> on herpes. <laughs> we made bad you choices. You guys really missed. You Steven, have. you're talking pissed away the money in past tense. Like it's not an ongoing oh, expense for the Sparagus Media Corporation. Per yeah. <laughs> Corey ruined the uh, telling of it. Uh, no, but the, the auction, I remember I, an enjoyable story that got me out of the office when I was a reporter is the city of Calgary's auction site. I was like, hey, I'm going to the auction. I want to see who goes to these things. Went, great people, talked to a guy that bought a bus, wasn't planning on it. I don't know. It was a good Impulse story. Impulse bus. Yeah. yeah. That's not bad. We should <laughs> that was never my go there with He was not money. planning to buy a bus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, we finally got all our banking fixed. We have a checkbook. And <laughs> Cancel very the bus ad yeah. and go buy a bus. <laughs> um, okay, Corey, do you have anything else kind of just to add from having worked in government comms to, to, to add to the story before I turn it back to Carter? You know, I, I guess I'll add this. It would probably surprise you how many campaigns get built but not launched, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, get almost get there like either have storyboards or full creative even in many cases and we just at the last minute say it's not going to work either because the moment is passed or because politicians get cold feet because politicians are famous yeah. for saying i want bold give me bold and then you give them bold and they go not that bold you know let's just do something pretty more basic there and so uh that happens a lot and then of course as was the case here at, at least to an extent Governments change. Ministers change, even within governments. Tastes are different. And so, it really, there are a lot of campaigns that never see the light of day. You also prepare campaigns for things that may or may not actually happen. I'm not going to get into the specifics. I can't. But I can tell you, we were in active bargaining with everybody under the sun for, for most of my time in government. And we had plan A, B, and C. We had some wild ad campaigns for certain contingencies that were were boarded out like they weren't actually uh like uh you know recorded in some cases but they were ready to go what about the, and so in this case that there's a, a costume like that there's a mascot yeah, is well, that yeah, no, is there a whole you know box full of full of them like, would have, it get that developed uh, yeah, i have pulled the there's more of these. so many yeah this is Tell my point us like, the other mascots so- <laughs> spill the beans Corey. there are so many fully completed creative campaigns that do not see the light of day in government. I'm not saying there's one every month, but there's probably one every year, minimum, like big, significant campaigns. And so, uh, you know, there's there's other Donaire costumes out there. They might not be Donaire costumes, but there are things that are built uh, either as ad campaigns or as activations for departments or anything else that might be public-facing that for whatever reason, the Corey Hogan of the day or the politicians of the day just say, you know what, we're not going to do that. And it happens way more than you think. Keep watching that government surplus site. Well, so then then on the comm side, are you like, do you think there's people that were like, man, we can't wait until this gets posted and and I can... Yeah, walk yeah. me through that. Somebody's probably was planning to put two hundred bucks for it, and is very sad that it's now hit what sixteen thousand. <laughs> you were saying yeah, sixteen thousand. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So I mean, you have to have a good sense of the nuts and bolts as to when it's all going up. But I can tell you, in kind of a smaller sense, I knew a deputy minister who retired, and so when you're a when you're a deputy in government, you get a government car like the ministers do. And uh, you have the option of buying it when you leave. I did not buy my car. I bought my EV that took years instead. Um, But uh, I knew a deputy who had a car that he rode to the 
ever loving ground. Like it was like 10, 12 years old. And I, and you know, so what it is, is like essentially the fleet group will look at like what's fair market value of it. They don't give you a deal. They basically give you like blue book value or whatever. And, and it was like super low, the blue book value. And uh, I think I'm remembering it properly, but I, I, he decided not to buy it. And he's like, I'll just wait for it to show up on government surplus. Nobody else is going to buy it. <laughs> like this car with over 150,000 kilometers, like nobody's going to buy it. And I'll just buy back my car for a fraction of what fleet's willing to sell it for me right now. And so, yeah, like this is a... So did he do it? Kind of, that happened? I, I don't actually know because that, he retired. That's why he got, uh, you know, and we didn't stay in touch, but... But, uh, Sounds like a yeah, shady fella, a, it's, if you're on it. Yeah. Shady. I don't think there's anything shady Foolish. about that. Like, basically, he was saying to Fleet, it's not worth that much. They were saying it is. And if he bought it at auction, that's like that's the market price, right? But, the uh, you know, that is a bit of a government game. Like, it, it, you know these things are coming up, and you're like, oh, I might, I might buy that when that comes up, for sure. Okay. Very interesting insight, Corey Carter. I'll bring you back into this. You've worked with lots of politicians. Just to go back to the Daniel Smith um, hand in hand with the costume, is, does it take a certain type of politician to convince to do that? Like, are you know, as Corey says, comms can say, hey, this is what everyone's talking about. It's summer. This will be fun. Here's a laugh. Go do it. Are there some politicians that'll just say, like, no, I'm not doing that? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't think you could have paid Alison Redford a million dollars for her to do that. Like, I just can't imagine her going and holding a mascot's hand. Uh, now, of course, a photograph of it will pop up on the internet. But um, no, I don't, I, don't think that, I, I don't think that everybody can laugh at themselves like that. But Danielle, uh, we've said many times, she's an incredibly likable politician. She is someone who, you know, isn't afraid of these types of situations. She, you know, even when she posted the dishwashing photograph of herself i mean that was it's about likability with her and she knows how to play those likability cards and uh she's got a really good sense of it she always has had a really good sense of what will make her more likable um you know i think you remember the the bus that they had the wild rose had in 2012 with the, yeah, the Ill wheels place. oh we remember i swear to god where the breasts i think are. that yeah. she could have actually she would have been far more successful if they just kept that that uh, rap and she made a joke of it every time, you know, because she's someone who could have made a joke of it every single time and it would have played because she has a great sense of humor. She has the ability to laugh at herself. She would have brought people into the joke and they would have felt like they were a part of it. And um, that could have had some power. But I also understand why she didn't. I mean, it was her and it was very uh, unfortunate. So is that the sort of thing and for both of you, because it's maybe like both a comms and politics question, but that you get like a, a bit of a gut check from multiple people on like, uh, hey, everyone's talking about this this summer. We want to do a picture with the mascot. What do people think? Or Carter, in your case, with the, the bus thing to be like, hey, she's having fun with this. Let's just keep this going. Is there like are there many kind of heads in the room that make these decisions? It, no, because they'll never will. There's always someone who's just checking, you know, who there's way more people who are going to be cautious than there are people who are going to be adventurous. Corey mentioned, you know, the, the, the politician who comes in the room and says, let's take a big swing. Let's make sure that this thing is a really aggressive advertising campaign. It's not necessarily the politician that says that it's 15 people they talk to afterwards. Really? I'm not so sure. I mean, let's here are the 15 risks that we're taking. Um, those, the, the big swing, the big, you know, like most people would say, I'm not sure I see what's in it for you to be holding hands with a mascot. And they will have totally missed the point of what's actually available to the politician. So um, it, it is the politicians that can actually see that, that have so much more power than the politicians that, that don't. Right. So um, yeah, I think that that, I think there's, if you talk to too many people, do, they'll tell you. Do you think, do you think we need more politicians that see it? Like, do you think we need more kind of laughs and fun and, and lightness in our politics in today's environment? Uh, so, yeah, except I would like it to be legitimate and not this kind of like 
whipsaw thing we have where one minute you are outraged and this person's the worst and the next minute you're buddies and you're laughing and all of that. I think that that kind of foundational insincerity is driving a lot of the cynicism we have here. This this stakes of one day of being they're the worst and the next day being uh, we're just having fun with a donor here. Like th- this crazy unevenness is it drives me a bit nuts. And it's not to say people have to be the same all of the time, but you know, I, I think um, it, it, lightness is great, but I, I want kind of a, a more legitimate light. Like I, I think it's not about the lightness with the odd donaire thing. I think it's the lightness to not think that your opponent is fucking Hitler, which is what everybody seems to think these days all of the time. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll take a little bit different view than that because I, I see, I know what you're saying, Corey, and I don't disagree. I think that, um, you know, the ability to be light in your skin all the time and, and to, uh, present yourself as we, you know, we used to call it authentic, but I think that the word authentic has been, drummed out of any meaning uh, by this point but um you know i i do think that it'd be better if we had more people who dress you know like uh justin trudeau and joti gondek can wear costumes that's kind of cool because that's legitimately who they are stephen harper could never wear a, a costume i mean for him you know showing up in a golf shirt was a t- was a costume so you know this is it, it's it's a I don't know. I don't want to say it's a tricky line, but I do like the idea of people who can be authentic and be real within their own skins. Yeah, look, for me, it's like you can't act so casual in one moment and have absolutely no fucking chill in other moments. That's, mm-hmm. that's more, I think, what yeah. I'm trying to say, right? And uh, and people have different ways of being authentic. Yeah, uh, Stephen Harper couldn't pot i mean everybody remembers of course that video where he like an alien's talking about how he too likes to watch movies on netflix right <laughs> you know like he, he he just couldn't do stuff like that but there were other times where he would you know play the piano at an event right uh, or he he loved cats he loved kittens which just is weird to me but uh you know uh in a funny way it was it was so kind of cheesy that it was authentic and a little bit endearing right like he's, who is this guy he's a very big time skier and he never put any of that forward you never knew that he had a hobby the guy never had a hobby and that was really i think a, a barrier to his success instead of opening up i mean he well he, i think he's pretty successful no, but he was success he wasn't as successful as he wanted to be could have been more yeah if people knew he okay. was a skier <laughs> listen yeah. i vote for skiers that's the way it goes snowboarders don't get my oh, vote wow Okay. Yeah. I'm with you, Carter. Uh, okay, guys, let's move into our lightning round. Uh, first question in lightning round. If the strategist had a mascot, what would it be? Well, we have Zane. Um, yeah. I mean, we have a so mascot. Like a costume. If you had to go and get like a company to make uh, a costume. It would be a, a Donair representing Aleppo, which is a restaurant in Che, yeah. I think. Yeah. Or even uh, Jerusalem Shawarma, okay. but that's on the west side, but... That's yeah. on, that's on, that's it. That's, <laughs> that's, that's a whole different Chew. neighborhood. It's, it's not the yeah. same neighborhood. It's totally different. Yeah. No one calls, for all of the non-Calgary listeners, no one calls Crescent Heights East Che except for Everybody calls, And he continues to try to make it a sign now. There's literally a bus bench yeah, it up says, there. welcome to Che. And I heard there's a flag. Is this true, Corey? There is a there's flag, There's a flag yeah. now? Yeah, where can, a flag. Where can people get the flag? Well, you can get the one-sided flag at westofcenter.ca. I, which I know is confusing because it's an east of center neighborhood we're talking about, but that's just how it is. Uh, but the two-sided flags, we're getting samples from our suppliers right now. Stay tuned. Yeah. Can it be a two-sided flag? They'll be flag? everywhere. Okay. Awesome. Uh, next lightning round question. Mid-journey. Corey, what, what is mid-journey? Why do you keep <laughs> posting photos from mid-journey? I literally came back to cell service and had a picture of like an AI-generated thing from a text. And they were like, I saw this on Twitter. What is this? First of all, <laughs> tell, me, to say, tell me what mid-journey is and why you were so into You it. looked great in that picture. The rest of us did not look great in our pictures. So you have no, no thing, yeah. nothing to complain about. What, so, what is uh, mid-journey is an AI image generator. Uh, mid-journey 5 came out in March, I believe. I think it's even still using GPT 3.5. I could be mistaken on that one. But... Um, it, it's very good. It's very good at simple commands. And so there's a couple of AI image generators out there. And DALI 2 is the one from OpenAI. That's kind of the first famous one. 
Uh, but, you know, it has those challenges with the number of fingers and it, you know, the, the quality is amazing in a certain sense, but it's not amazing in other senses. Mid-Journey does simple images brilliantly uh, and, and doesn't follow instructions as well as Dali does. But boy, they look really, really good, really high quality. And um, and yeah, I've just been playing around a lot with it lately because, uh, well, because these are technologies that I think are going to be increasingly relevant in communication. So. You, you know, when you get these things from me is on Fridays, and this is yep. a thing. This is I'm going to turn this into some life advice for our listeners here. Every Friday morning, I book the morning off of like, I, like I'll take a meeting if I need to, but that's professional development time. I spend that time looking up on my craft, playing with the new tools, you know, seeing what kind of like, uh, you know, AI is a big thing right now, of course, but it might also be, you know, project management tools that are out there or things that allow you to be a better writer. And I, you know, if you want to get better perpetually, you've got to find the time to actually put into it and not sort of drift. And so, uh, yeah, I've been leaning heavy into mid journey. It's, it's a lot of fun. Check it out. That's good. That's good uh, advice, Corey. This is un unlike the time when I was like, hey, this guy who has high school students wants some advice. And you both <laughs> gave terrible advice. You just gave some good advice. Thank you for that. Okay. Yeah, you're most welcome. Last, you uh, terrible last lightning advice. round I question. That was good advice to the high school guys. You, I think no. you called one of them a dildo. Or <laughs> all of them dildos. Yeah, Repeatedly. Not... Uh, oh, yeah. That was more Carter. But neither of you had good advice. Uh, last lightning round question. Carter, you can... <laughs> I'll give this one to you. Okay. The Alberta Party announced this week I'm sorry, they're going to host some virtual the Alberta Party the they're going to host some virtual conversations um, are they going to listen about again? about the election okay. so they say this is their tweet the 2023 general election was a disappointment sorry a word's missing we need to review the results analyze what worked and what didn't discuss what the party is and propose a path forward discuss, discuss what, what the party, party is, is is in quotes the is part it says discuss what the party quote is. Oh, well, oh, wow. End quote. Well, maybe we should so, discuss it Carter, right now, Corey. I mean, would you call them that, Carter, losers the lightning round question. or would you call them extreme Carter, losers? Carter, let me ask my lightning round question. Oh. What is the Alberta party? Um, irrelevant. Corey, do you have an answer? I said the, the only answer. real Alberta party is the Calgary Stampede. Yeehaw! Greatest outdoor show on earth. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to leave it there. That's a wrap on episode 1084 of The Strategist. My name is Annalise Klingbeil. With you, as always, Stephen Carter and Corey Hogan. <laughs> <laughs>